This is the Royal Blue Podcast from the Liverpool Echo, giving you the inside track on all the big talking points from Goodison Park. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Royal Blue Podcast. I'm Phil Kirkbride, and today joined by Dave Prentice, Adam Jones, and Gav Buckland as we chew the fat over all the major talking points at Goodison Park. As we move further into the summer, we are now in June, and hopefully edging a little bit closer to some concrete transfer news. But on the agenda today are the futures of two Goodison stalwarts, Phil Jagielka and Leighton Baines. We're expecting their futures to become a little bit clearer this week. Everton and the rest of the Premier League clubs will officially release their retained list on Friday, but we anticipate that Everton will certainly be making some noises uh, earlier than that on those two. Uh, We'll speak as per every podcast on Andre Gomez and things have seemingly moved on a little bit uh, in the past sort of seven days. Uh, We'll discuss and get the lads' thoughts on the interview we did with Ronald Koeman, which went out yesterday, and uh, also before the end of the podcast, discuss the current state of the preseason schedule. Um, let's take the, the the two stalwarts and two excellent long-serving players in Leighton Baines and Jagielka. Preno, Jags, first of all, what's your hunch? Normally, you just the hunch would be he's <clears throat> going to be released. But I'm just a little bit baffled as to why it's taken so long to announce that decision. I mean, that decision will have been taken right at the end of the season. And, you know, obviously that, you know, late substitute appearance against Burnley, you know, so made everyone think, oh, well, that's the farewell appearance. Uh, but absolutely nothing since then. And if a decision has been taken, why not? Which makes you think that, has he been made an offer? Is he mulling it over? Because surely if he has been released, and you would imagine that he would want to continue his playing career, therefore his name needs to be circulated out there, clubs need to be made aware of his availability, and, you know, no time to be lost really and you know so advertising his talents and getting him lined up somewhere else so that just leaves me a little bit suspicious that you know so maybe he has been made an offer I don't know it seems very very strange that we've got to you know best part of like three weeks since the season's finished and we still don't know I know the retain list has to be formally announced on Friday but all that's going to tell us is that you know whether he has or hasn't you know been made an offer we still don't know then whether he's actually accepted it if he has been made an offer so Bottom line is, I've no idea what's going on. <laughs> I'm a little bit surprised by it all. Um, Preno is of the opinion that a decision would have been made at the end of the season, but could you have foreseen a situation, Adam, where actually Marco Silva and Brands went, actually, we need a little bit more time to think about it. We're still weighing up or, or trying to understand the Zuma situation, maybe. Mm. Yeah, I, th- I think the Zuma situation's probably come into effect massively and, you know, Everton would perhaps maybe banking on Chelsea's transfer ban becoming like a little bit more clearer. Maybe hopefully they were going to get rid of that ban. Obviously that's not the case. They're still going to the calls of arbitration for sports on that. So, you know, that looks like it's going to be dragging on for a little while, at least at this like Zuma Chelsea sort of saga. So, you know, I'd like to think it hasn't caught Silver and Brands by surprise, but it's probably changed their mind a little bit on Jagielka. And I think, I don't know if I if if I was like one of the fans sit, sitting inside the stadium at Goodison Park and you know we, as as we all thought that might be Jagielka's like farewell sort of appearance it just felt a bit flat for, you know for a player who's given so much to the club and you know has been such a servant to the club as captain for the last few seasons as well it just felt like a bit of a bit of a flat way to for him to exit if that is the case so. In some respects, I hope that he is given a new contract so that he can, you know, get the sort of send-off that he deserves at the end of it. 
um, Gav, if, if, if he has been made an offer, why was that not um, made as clear, briefed, leaked, however you want to yeah. describe it, in the same way that Leighton Baines's offer has been made aware to to, 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 to newspapers <laughs> and the media? Why, why would the same not be for Jagielka? And does that give you an indication that actually he's not been made an offer? Yeah, but then that goes back to Plano's point. If he's not being made an offer, then... <laughs> So can, 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 like, can yeah. you can you think of a reason or why no. if he's not been made an offer um, that it has not been made public that he's been yeah that's released. what I mean yeah, um, unless it's an offer and it's such a poor offer that you know he's gone back to them and said hang on you know I do want to stay but I'm not accepting that yeah. you've got to do better than that so there could be some negotiation maybe yeah I think possibly. so yeah yeah that's the only way I can think the only way I can think of is like that that his offers on the table there well I think the point the point players. is like he's gonna. Jagielka is going to think, well, you know, that performance against the Arsenal I've shown, I can still cut it in the Premier League. Yeah. I, I think he he might be wanting a bit more game time. Well, and purely playing devil's advocate, and I agree with you because he was excellent that day. Would anybody at the football club trying to keep a lid on on wage bills and, and or, you know, not willing to make any guarantees go, well, also, Phil, I'll, I'll, I'll show you the Fulham video. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, I think that's got to be taken well, into the, account. You, you said the two most important ways in that sentence, wage bill or wage bills. Yeah. yeah because um, I would imagine that Jackson Blake will be earning as long serving players, you know, earning good money. Mm-hmm. Not necessarily commensurate with their game time, shall we say. Mm. Um, I suspect any offer that they have will, will have a considerably lower lower offer compared to what they're on. That would be my guess. Because what is the value that, therefore, Gav, to pick up on that point? What is the value of having, certainly in Leighton Baines's instance, possibly the best backup left back in the Premier League, and in Phil Jagielka's instance, what is the value in having a hugely experienced centre half on call in your squad if needed? The value in terms of the playing, the, the, you know. So in terms of, is their value not what they're currently being yeah, paid? Both. or... But it's game time on the pitch, isn't it? Yeah. You know, and I'm not. I think said before, Mars Marcel. I don't think he's necessarily the biggest fan of people who are earning big money not getting game time. I think he said that. And it I think, depends uh, on your status as a football club, doesn't it? Just yeah. you know, the elephants in the room. Come on, let's talk about it. The other shot across the park. I've just won the Champions League. We didn't want to discuss it today, but we've got to try and compare ourselves to what they've achieved. You know. A, very, very strong Everton was always in commensurate with a very strong Liverpool. The, the, both football clubs bounced off each other. They've just had a season where they've had a, a lad, Daniel Sturridge, who's on, what is it, 120 grand a week, who's not playing a dicky bird, who, you know, who's, uh, I think he scored their first Champions League goal and, you know, sort of featured intermittently. And they were happy to pay that, you know, because he's a quality striker who's on the bench, who's available should they need him. So you could argue that, you know, Leighton Baines and Phil Jagielka do deserve top whack because they are quality players that are available if we need them. But Sturridge is, what, 29, 30? Yeah. Phil's Jagielka's like 37, Six, 37. Yeah. This yeah. stage thing, I would imagine. Yeah, that's that's if they were 29 yeah. or 30, yeah. we probably wouldn't be having this conversation, would we? But it's the fact that, like, Leighton's 35. And, you know, Four, you don't look yeah. at this, look at that. Don't look at their age now. Look at their age in 12 months' time because that's when the, the contract will still be. What age will they be then? So by the time, if they've given a year now, Jack should be nearly 30, 38. 37 going on 38, 38 in August. Baines, you would have turned yeah, 35 five in December. And and I suspect that that's the other thing, isn't it? And I, I can see a case for keeping Baines 
because actually he's a, going to be like there or thereabouts, the top left back, back up left back in the uh, the Premier League. He'd probably do a decent job for about half the, half the clubs in the Premier League, mm. I would imagine. Um, Jags is a slightly different story. But depend, as you say, depend, there's, there's so many different variables here, isn't it? It's whether they want to get... It's all I'm saying, but we'll pay that this. But you might say, as you say, I think Asmus said, you might want game time. So, yeah. like, if you would... Baines wouldn't be short of offers, isn't he? If would he, he play if for anybody that. else? Baines? Yeah. In this area, probably, perhaps. Maybe. I don't, it depends how much game time you want, don't you? I, th- I think purely in a playing sense, I agree with you. Like, I, I'd... I'd much rather rely on Baines stepping into the side than I would Jagielka for next season and onwards. But I think in terms of having him around the squad and for the position that he's going to be in, you know, Jagielka is a massively experienced centre-back. And if he were to go, let's say even if we did get Zuma in, we've got Zuma, Keane, Mina and Holgate. There are centre-back options and Keane's the oldest at 25. Now that's that's a young selection that, you know, if if if, if it does come to... Yeah. If it does come to the point where we're, you know, we're up in in these European places, we're up going into the semi-finals of competitions. We need, you know, somebody who's been there and done it for Everton in the past, and you know, has got that experience behind them to be able to tell these lads surely that you know they, they can do it. And yeah. I don't know. There's there's just there's, there's something so, there's in, so many in my mind. Thesis on this, couldn't you? There's so yeah. many different things. I mean, the argument then is that well, actually, would you pay somebody? Figuring it's say forty k a week, it's still two million a year, that isn't it? You know, mm-hmm. um, it's it's not a lot of money in Premier League terms. Just but it is in a wage bill, bill that's million you've got to reduce. Yeah. And I would you is it worthwhile? Would you pay somebody two million a year just to act as a bit of a cheerleader and sort of arm around the shoulder to younger centre halves when you've got a coaching staff who can do that? It it there's so many different things here that um, you can probably see why it's taken till now. They're still not being resolved. I, my 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 feeling is that I think there may be still offers on the table there, and that actually it's not being disclosed because they're not being resolved. Um, with bit Baines there is anyway, isn't there? Well, yeah, that's our understanding. That that, yeah, yeah. But, but that that was the, that was the going back to the very first question to Preno was there's almost been um, a silence around the Jagielka situation. There's been a little bit more noise with Bainesy and a little bit more kind of understanding of where the club are at with him. Whereas certainly towards the end of the season when Marco was asked about Jagielk, it just seemed, we're talking, we've got more talks, we're talking. Yeah. And there was never that kind of indication of where he was he was at and, and what he was thinking. There is there is another aspect to this, what? if you were Jagielka, is does it does it if you wanted to move club, is does it make it a better bargaining position for you if you move on club if you know Everton have made you an offer. So if you're going as a free agent, I don't, I don't know how it works, you know, if you're going as a free agent. Well, so, actually, so, you're, yeah. so hypothetically, you're, Sheffield United pick up the phone yeah. to Jags' agent and go, Phil, we'd love for you to come for a season. And Jags can go, well, I've been made an offer by, by Everton. Yeah, yeah. And then does, does, he, does he... Does that make look, it... Everybody wants yeah. to be paid well, of course, what they do, but does Jags at this stage of his career, is that important to him? Don't know, but what I'm saying is, I think he, as a player in the better bargaining position, if you got two clubs after course, the services, yeah, don't yeah. you? You know, um, maybe that's the other aspect to it. Um, don't know. The, the whole thing is going back to the start. It's just a bit of a bit of a puzzle, isn't it? Really, mm-hmm. you know. Um, 
and Big Boss out Friday, but you're expecting some news news that's, before then. That's that's the intel we have. Yeah. Officially, the Premier League have confirmed that all 20 squads yeah. and their retain list will be published on Friday. But as you've seen, number of clubs are drip feeding bits and bobs as we speak, and is the understanding that Everton are looking to do similar on Jags and Baines before Friday, as is as would be befitting of players of their stature. Yeah, that they don't have to be sort of lumped in with your Boris Mathis and your Ashley Williams, so to speak. And Yeah. The, the other aspect of this, what does that say about Anthony Robinson, if they still want to give Keith Baines? Well, this is it. The, the, like this, me and Phil were having this discussion yeah. before the podcast today. Like, I think Anthony Robinson falls into it and I think Mason Holgate falls into it. Yeah, if Jack yeah, exactly. with to stay as well. Like, you know, you've got Anthony Robinson coming out, where was it yesterday, talking to mm. the Wigan Observer and he was saying, look, I'm, really pleased you know Silver's been in touch with me all season you know I, want, I really want to make it into Everton's first team you really find that hard to you find it hard to see how he's going to do that if Leighton Baines is going to be sticking around because if you, if you are having Baines stick around like he's still going to, pro, going to be on more money than Robinson he's still a brilliant quality left back you know as you've said he could probably walk into half the teams in the league like you can't you can't really have that player sitting on the bench when you've got a youngster coming in who's never played, never kicked the ball in the Premier League. He's no. hardly kicked the ball for Everton in, apart think, from pre-season. He also said in that interview, why wouldn't I get a chance? Yeah. He was speaking confidently about, mm. about get, being given an opportunity in the summer. But as you say, if, if, if Leighton does yeah. agree a new deal, then it seems a, it doesn't seem like a particularly worthwhile exercise in the long run to, to be using him post a few, few early friendlies maybe yeah because surely he just needs another season on loan if that's yeah, like Joe Virginia isn't it yeah mm. similar similar thing isn't it you know mm. interesting um, Preno bring you back in then so what's your hunch on on Baines I'll ask you for your hunch on Jagiel <laughs> <laughs> do you think he'll accept I do yeah it's not based on any you know kind of you know knowledge or anything that we've heard it's just just his demeanour around the place and he just He's been so intrinsically a part of Everton for so long. You know, he's lived in the area for so long. His kids are still pretty young. He's still, yeah. I still see him in the morning occasionally dropping the uh, the kids off at school in Formby. And uh, I think he's settled and I think he'd like to continue to stay in the area. Now, obviously that d- doesn't preclude, you know, move back to, for argument's sake, Wigan or, you know, so somebody else, you know, that, that's very local. But I just think, you know, he's so settled at the football club now that it would take something significant to drive him away. And he obviously still is of an age now, you know, where he, he's still fit enough to play. The downside, of course, is how consistent Lucas Dean's been and, you know, those lack of opportunities he's going to get. Uh, but I don't know. I just have a slight feeling that, you know, he might be inclined to stick around, you know, so more than anybody else. But we'll, we'll soon find out. Could you could you even foresee a situation where he would retire? No. Um, I say no, but he has, he's one of those footballers that does have interests outside of... Um, mm-hmm. A football. I mean, he loves he his likes photo- a bit of music. He, he likes his music. He loves his <laughs> photography. He's an interesting character. Late. Now, I mean, you see him in the summer occasionally. I spoke to him. Is it last summer? And he'd been away on um, this really strange trip to uh, 
India on some retreat with Danny Donachie, mm. I think he'd gone with, whereby it's like some kind of, a, you know, sort of like a Trappist monk, you know, sort of monastery. Yeah, you leave your mobile at the door, don't well, no, you? Well, no, you don't stuff. speak. You right. physically don't speak, you know, for like, you know, the week or so you're there. And I was looking at him like he had three heads. I'm saying, well, you actually don't talk while you're there. And he goes, oh, no, it's brilliant. So you go, you meditate, you know, you cleanse your mind of all kinds of, you know, sort of extraneous thoughts. And it works for him. Mm. And he absolutely loved the experience, you know, so it came <laughs> back. So, you know, he's a footballer that does have, you know, very, very, you know, individual interests outside of the game. So, yeah, you'll find plenty to occupy his time. Uh, he wouldn't be, you know, sort of sitting around bored or thinking of, you know, sort of running a pub like you know, footballers <laughs> used to do back, back in the good. He doesn't drink either, which obviously they, yeah, you know, yeah. he wouldn't do that. Uh, but no, I think he's, he's such a professional. He loves, you know, physical fitness, keeps himself in great shape. And I think he'd want to carry on playing for a little bit longer. But uh, it, it is a quite an intriguing one, you know. So uh, <laughs> the fact that we've, you know, we've been talking about it for so long, and we still no idea what's going to happen. Yeah, that bit of podcasting that retreat would be quite interesting, wouldn't it? You know? <laughs> we'll have to get him to talk about it. Yeah, yeah. come on. Yeah, yeah. Can you imagine sending Sam to one of them retreats? <laughs> oh, oh, oh yeah. No. yeah. <laughs> but Gav, and you know, probably not using the phrase "carry on playing," but I was thinking. Well, how much playing is he actually going to do? Well, that's that's what I mean. It's just there's so many different aspects to this. Like with Jags, it depends whether you want to be a coach, doesn't it, or something like that. But I don't know this type of thing. What futures you have in the game after? As I was saying, if you want to be be a coach, or that that comes into it, doesn't it? You know, some club players will stay and do a year and do coaching and a bit of playing, you know, and stuff. Um, yeah, I, I would imagine in Bain Layton's case, not a lot, really. Luke Dean's there or thereabouts, one, two, three best left backs in the in the Premier League. Of course, you're only um, an injury away. Can't yeah, of course. But, and and Leighton found that in, but, but, in January, didn't he? That he, he was back in the team. And... But, but do you want to take that's a sort of gamble, isn't it? Mm. At 35, do you want to take that? I mean, it's just so funny. I mean, the, the training yeah. aspect of it, turning up at the training ground every single day and, you know, keeping yourself in shape, the band to the camaraderie, that, that's the kind of thing that's very, very difficult to replace and a lot of players find difficult to, you know, sort of detach themselves from. So he would be losing all that, you know, if he decides to call it a day straight yeah, away. Spain's has been there, what, 12, 12 years? Jacks, 13, Jacks now, isn't it? Yeah. It's been there a long Didn't time. they both joined in the same summer? Oh, yeah, Jacks the same summer, yeah, 07. It was Les Cost who came in 06, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. So, uh, I don't know, it's incest them on, isn't it? Mm. I mean... Yeah, I wouldn't like to put any money on <laughs> any option there, really. Well, hopefully the next sort of 24, 48 hours will bring uh, some clarity. We don't know the full extent of, of what will be uh, revealed, but some clarity at least on the futures of Phil Jagielka and Leighton Baines. Uh, moving on to the future of Andre Gomez, Adam. Um, Who's that? <laughs> West Ham have kind of come out of nowhere, really, as, as a genuine kind of rival Um mm. Free signature this week, um, making an offer of, of twenty million, which seems rather low, and I, I'm sure would would get them not particularly uh, any great distance with Barcelona. But um, do you think West Ham are any reason for for Everton to be concerned? Uh, not really, like not with the way they, they've you know announced announced their way into this race. You know, with a rumored eighteen million bid, and then they've upped that to twenty million when. You know, well, all, player field wanted, is it? You know, like all the talk has been for weeks that Barcelona are going to want between 25 and 30. They're probably going to want, well, obviously they're going to want closer to the 30 sort of region for the player. But like, you know, if if you're Andre Gomez and you're looking at West Ham and Everton, you know, Everton finished above West Ham. Uh, Everton, 
he's already got a connection with the fans. He's got a connection with the manager. He knows he fits into the style of football. He knows that, you know, Everton are only going in one direction. If, the only thing that I can see that West Ham can offer different to Everton is, you know, the allure of London, which I think is, you know, to some players that is a major factor, but there's, there's something about Gomez which just, it doesn't strike me as if he'd be particularly, particularly interested by London. In like, I think he connected with the people of this city and, you know, especially Everton fans in particular. So <laughs> I, I wouldn't be too worried about about the interest of West Ham, if, if I'm honest. I, th- I still think Everton should be firm favourites to get this one done. Premier, do you feel that the Blues are still favourites in this particular race? When it comes to Everton and West Ham, yes, I do. The concern for me was the uh, the rumoured interest from Tottenham uh, at the end of the season, and that seems to have, you know gone quiet. Obviously, Tottenham have had other things you know to you know distract them for the last couple of weeks, but that concerns me because you know you're talking um, a club that's just got an absolutely spectacular new stadium. It's just reached the Champions League final, got a very very charismatic and you know highly thought of manager. Um, you know, there are lots of, you know, attractions that would you know, recommend a player to that football club. That concerned me. But, you know, as long as that, you know, interest doesn't, you know, rematerialise uh, Everton against West Ham, and clearly we're biased in here, but I, I don't think it's a no-brainer. I just can't see why you would choose West Ham over Everton. The, you know, the attractions of London or otherwise. So, no, as long as other clubs aren't skirting around the issue and, you know, sort of planning moves. Because, you know, he's a sought-after footballer. You know, he, he is a talent and, you know, he's uh, had a good season in the Premier League. So, you know, I'd be surprised if there weren't other people out there that are keeping a very close eye on the situation. Gav, any thoughts on, on um, Gomez? The thing I would say about West Ham is, you know, sometimes that can drive the place up, isn't it? If there's other, wait, wait, other just was the thing that came yeah. to my, into my mind when, when it, it became apparent that West Ham were, were seriously interested. Yeah, I suppose so, but we'd have to... That's to sort of make it worthwhile for him. I think possession is nine tenths of the law on this one, isn't it? He, is he he's played for us for the season. He knows what Evans about. He knows what the city's about. He knows what Silver's about. I'm sure that will carry, you know, carry a lot of weight in his mm. decision making. I think um, setting aside like the respect, well, but people perceive Everton West Ham as football clubs. Uh, I, I think it's in the balls in our course. I think on this one. That's, I mean, my understanding is what of that, that maybe he want that might be his choice as well. So I, uh, I'm pretty comfortable on on this one to be honest with you. That Everton sort of appear to be in the driving seats mm. on face value, but what we don't want is somebody up in the ante a little bit where we end up paying maybe five million more than what we were anticipating. You know, uh, that's the concern. So uh, yeah, it'd be interesting uh, to see what happens on that one. Um. Something that wasn't on the initial agenda, but uh, just sort of come to mind. Um, Preno, Everton are hoping, or, or certainly looking at appointing uh, Lewis Boamorte as uh, Michael Silva's new number two after João Pedro Sousa's departure to Portugal was confirmed. Um, it would be a really interesting appointment, I think, for many reasons. Well, yeah, I know exactly where you're going with this one. I don't know anything about his uh, his abilities as a coach, uh, but I remember him as being a. Uh, Quite a spiky individual on the football pitch in one game in particular down at Fulham where um, I think David Weir was actually sent off, you know, so following a, a confrontation with him. And I don't know if it was in the wake of that game or it was around about that period that Boa Morte basically accused Duncan Ferguson of having uh, 
used racist language, you know, sort of towards him and, you know, asked the FA to investigate. And we dug the quotes out the other day and they're quite pointed. You know, he's um, he's very, very upset with what was allegedly said, you know, so to him uh, during that match. And nothing came of it. I can't recall any charges ever being brought against Duncan. Uh, so, you know, whether he misheard what he thought he'd heard and whether there was never anything to, to say. But that could be quite an interesting atmosphere on the training ground. It was a long time ago, 2004. But, you know, footballers have long memories. Uh, so... <laughs> You know, whether they have to uh, make up very, very quickly, I don't know. But uh, that, that's, yeah, I'm looking forward to seeing uh, those two embrace on the opening day of the season. <laughs> Adam, sh- should it come to pass that Beaumorte is installed as number two? Um, he's got a surprisingly um, wealth of, of experience in English football. I think it was 14 seasons on the mm-hmm. spin playing in, in England for various clubs. And, and, you know, it's our belief that that's something that Marco actually values really highly about, mm. about um, Beaumorte. Oh yeah, and you can see why. You know, it's always going to be useful to have, you know, somebody who's just got that intrinsic knowledge of, you know, what it takes to be a Premier League player at any level. And uh, you know, it's something that Silver has managed to pick up over his time in England. But you know, everyone can always learn. And you know, Bowen Morte, as you say, have got has got so much experience. And I think in a lot of respects, he can teach Silver a few things about the Premier League as well as Silver being able to mm. teach him. You know, you know the intricacies of being being a manager. So I think it could be a really nice partnership between the two. You know, they've worked closely together uh, before. Uh, I remember uh, speaking to Silva uh, a few weeks ago with somebody from Rave Deal Merseyside and he was talking about Boa Morte and, you know... Oh, was he? Yeah, 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 he was talking about how good good friends he was with him. Right. This was this was before all the, uh, before all the assistant the manager then. stuff yeah. came up and it was just like... It's just really interesting to hear him talk about, you know, just how close they were. And, you know, he obviously thinks so highly of them. So, yeah, it would be really interesting to see them work together. Interesting. Gav, you spoke um, sort of very articulately, articulately the other week. It's unusual for me, that. Who's a first time, yeah. How maybe the idea that losing yeah. Sousa had been overlooked a little bit and the significance of that. Now it's happened. And now that it appears that Boa Morte is in the frame are you comfortable are you you know from what you've heard read and, and Beaumont's CV if you like yeah 50-50 on this one because it doesn't matter how good your replacement in is I just think that continuity of working with somebody and knowing each other is, is so so highly valued I think in terms of um, of running a football team uh, whoever your replacement is carries a bit of risk um, however good their track record is and however you, you think you know them previously. And I'm still more concerned about losing previous incumbent and mm. optimism of getting somebody new in. But at the same time, as I said on, on the last pod, I'm talking about this, sometimes I think Adam's just alluded to somebody coming in with fresh ideas, fresh insights into I the Premier that. League yeah. can give, give you something that the other person didn't have. But I, I just think... My reckoning over the years is that when you work with somebody so long and to lose them, it actually can have a bit of a short-term impact, and that's the concern of, I've got. You know, in the conversations that I've had about this this subject, that's the feeling I get though in terms of it's fresh ideas. Yeah, yeah, of course, yeah, yeah, and maybe it might be best for both parties, but there's always a risk, isn't there? I think, in coaching. I think what, what maybe allay my fears a little bit is that they have worked well together. Yeah, and I think if. Everton appoint the like, the successor early enough, then 
that all the all these side effects are surely going to be ironed out before you know first game of the season yeah. comes like start of August what, mid-August. Yeah. What, what's more valuable in this, in this regard when when a manager loses um, a number two who he has worked with for a decade or so in terms of this this instance is it somebody that the manager has worked for previously as in this case with with Beaumont Tate Sporting even if it was only for one season or is it somebody who actually is more ingrained in the football club do you see what I mean is is there a what's more important in this case what the manager knows or bringing somebody in who understands the football club and maybe yeah. has, has, has played at the club. Or... It's funny, while you were talking there, I was thinking about, uh, you know, other options of, uh, you know, promoting from within even, you know, you've got David Unsworth there who's, you know, sort of managed the football team you know, on two Indeed, occasions. Yeah. But I think it's the the great upheaval that would cause the football club because he's so instilled in the youth academy and he's done, you know, such great work for the youth academy. Why would you take him away from that? You know, matter how you know ambitious he might be to, you know, have influence on the first mm. team again. And so it comes down to then to the manager's, personal view and you know sort of the personal chemistry if you like of working with people and clearly he has a chemistry with Luis Beaumorte that you know so he wants to revive and that probably is more important than somebody that actually understands and gets the football club I mean it's massive coming to a football club like Amazon. You can never underestimate that. I mean, I know I've said it before, but, you know, Jimmy Gabriel, when he took over his caretaker manager, described and is sitting behind that desk and thinking, wow, I'm at the controls of Battlestar Galactica. <laughs> he said it was. It's just absolutely vast. And for somebody coming from, you know, Beaumont is being a, you know, biggish football, I know sporting at a big football club, yeah. but, you know, so in English football, the football clubs he played for were more modest. And, you know, it's, I don't think you appreciate quite how, big and how wide, you know, the, the support bases of a club like Everton and how yeah. many people, you know, sort of just absolutely obsessed with the club. So that can take a bit of time to get to used to. But when you're an assistant, it's not really that important because the manager already gets it. The other people are already there, already gets it. So it's all down to the personal chemistry, I think. And I think that's probably the most important thing in this. Silver's confidence and comfortable working with him. Yeah, and that, that allays some of my some of my fears. I was thinking about when you're talking about the kind of about when uh, Moyes appointed Alan Irvin yeah. two thousand and two. And he was a former no previous, player. Yeah, rapport. And and he said he said I've appointed him because I rate him as a coach, not because yeah. he was a former player. He he, he pointedly it's made quite that brave, out. It's you quite know, a brave decision, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, and that goes back to what you saying. You want somebody who can coach that than some somebody's played there previously. That's the but that that, that was yeah. a weird one. I remember talking yeah. to Alan Irvin about that at the yeah. time. And uh, he had he had no previous with David Moyes. You know, there'd been a uh, occasional managerial forums and things, but did not work together. And you know, the offer came completely out of the blue to him. But that was Moyes. You know, he was yeah. uh, very much you know a maverick at times with some and, of his decisions. And, and, and not not talking about specifics or Moyes or Silver. I'm just talking generally. It would be the easy option for a manager to bring in somebody they know that they know extremely well that isn't going to rock the boat. Whereas. Moisey at that point, you know, he, he didn't know that Alan didn't have eyes on the top job and, and mm. wouldn't have been, you know, had yeah. things, you know, and that, Alan's not that type, type of person, of course, but, you know, uh, that that struck me then, the Preno saying, is a really brave decision. Yeah, but as I said, he was appointed because he was a good, he thought he was a good coach, not because he had insights into the club, mm. you know, and I think that that's always the, the, the determinant factor, isn't it, your ability as a coach. Um, I, I just I just think, on this one, yeah, I'm fears have delayed a little bit because of the previous experience, but you cannot underestimate if you work with somebody for so long, the initial, mm. say difficulty, the, the initial transition, working with somebody else can be sometimes difficult and uh, you, we underestimate that difficulty, I think, sometimes. Um, 
I'll just go back to your little bit of insight there and, and Marco actually talking about Bo Morty. Um, can you just give us an idea of what the context of, of his name being brought up was? Uh, I can't really remember. It was uh, it was James from Raise the Amazing Side mm. who brought it up. It was right at the start of the conversation that we were going to have. It was before that we ever really asked questions first time round. And like, I think James had just been doing like a bit of research on something and he just come across Boa Morte. Oh, and, just said, yeah. and he just said, oh, you, you two work together, didn't right. you? And like Silver, Silver talked for a minute about like, you know, how close they were when they worked together. He was a sport in Lisbon yes. that, they, that, they, uh, that they worked together. And he was, he was saying back then how much he rated them, rated them as a coach. So nice. I've been quite interested to, to know how much he actually knew about, you know, whether the wheels were in motion, yeah, whether, not, whether it yeah. was, whether it was going to be, whether he knew it was going to be happening or not, but uh, maybe, yeah, he spoke, he spoke our, really highly good, of him. Maybe our good friend James just <laughs> jumped his memory and went, oh, <laughs> <laughs> maybe a good appointment. Yeah. It's all radio, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> The Royal Blue Podcast from the Liverpool Echo. Very good. Moving on, uh, moving on to a former manager of Everton uh, a couple of weeks ago. Uh, Myself and uh, a small group of uh, UK media travelled to Zeist, just outside Amsterdam, uh, to the Dutch training base to sit down with Ronald Koeman. Uh, plenty was on the agenda. Obviously, of course, Thursday's Nations League game with, with England was was a big part of it and the revival of this rather young, vibrant Holland team that he's now in charge of. But of course, Everton questions were asked and Preno Ronald, perhaps not surprisingly, um, said he felt that the decision to sack him in October 2017 was... Hasty. I wouldn't disagree. Um, I remember at the time thinking, you know, I know that home defeat by Arsenal was absolutely horrific. Took us all by surprise, though. Not least myself. I was out in Tenerife on a sunbed when uh, Must have the been story nice. broke yeah, yeah, and yeah. got the phone call from the editor. Can you get off your sunbed and go and write a call piece about Ronald Koeman? Um, so, yeah, of course, it's on the hop a little bit. Uh, and I think when you saw the fixture list for the start of that season, you knew it was going to be, you know, sort of a tough start. Um, so I still feel that Farhad probably panicked a little bit unnecessarily. And so I've got some sympathy with Ronald Koeman in that respect. Uh, don't have sympathy with him on a lot of other things. I mean, it was a very interesting chat that you had with him, which he spoke mm. about lots and lots of various elements. Davy Klassen, he's not having any responsibility for that. You know, so going pear-shaped, again, not given enough time. Um, I just didn't ever see a player that looked ever suited to the Premier League uh, you, know, you know the bits that we saw of him Ross Barkley um, he was fair to say damned him with faint praise you know so from what he was saying there um, but the actual initial point about uh, could he have been given more time yeah I think he certainly could have been he was was it a year and four months he was there yeah, for months. Mm. Yeah, yeah. and you know were things that you know, so horrendous at the start of that season. It was, it was a rocky start to the season. We've got to be put into context of the uh, the fixture list. What has changed significantly since then, I think, is the entire strategy of the football club. And clearly, there were two disparate elements at work there. There was him trying to buy players, and was the director of football trying to buy players. And you know, so the, never the twain shall meet. And the club is all together and more polarised, you know, more, you know, uniform setup now. So the club has improved significantly as a result of his departure. But I do have a little bit of sympathy at the timing of it. Um, Go on, Adam. I, got, yeah. <laughs> I completely, I completely disagree. We mentioned Avi Klassen. Yeah. No, I, I just completely disagree. I think Everton are still trying to recover from that summer yeah. that him and Steve Walsh had. You know, we're still trying to clear the well, wage bill. That, yeah, we're still trying to, yeah. was still wrong. trying to clear out the yeah. likes of you know Sandra Ramirez, like who arrived that summer. You know, Henry Onyekudu arrived that summer. We've still not seen him play a game for Everton. We don't know whether he's going to play a game yeah. for Everton next season or not. 
And then well, how much of that was the structure of the football club rather than Ronald Koeman, you know, per se? Well, I mean, he picked out. You'd presume he's picked out quite a few of them signings. Some of them he did, yeah. I mean, David Klassen was clearly one of his. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> some of the others we're not so sure about. So yeah. I think he he definitely shoulders some of the blame for that. Yeah. And then the performances throughout the first like the first few months of that season, you know, culminating in that Arsenal game, which was, you know, me and me and Doyley were at that game, and that was just absolutely horrendous. Yeah. And it, yeah, it's better than Tenerife. It it, it just followed a dreadful start to the Europa League campaign as well. And, you know, after what Everton fans had gone through, like it, just a year or so before with Roberto Martinez, I think the problem with Martinez is that he stayed long enough for it to be really, really stale and really toxic almost. Like he sh- he stayed longer than he should have. Yeah. And I think, I think Koeman's Sachin came at the exact right time because I don't think, I don't think he came before it should have. I don't think he came after it should have. He was he was gone at the right time. And I think maybe the only sympathy coming for Kuman is because of who we got in to replace him. Oh don't, let's not go there. I, 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 I genuinely think <laughs> yeah. if we'd have if we'd have made the right repo- appointment to replace him, yeah. nobody'd have any sympathy for Kuman. Yeah. And I think he was he's maybe been saved a little bit by who followed him. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, the, the piece you you know you wrote where he talked about having had a great first season. All right, it was okay the first season. You know, Euro, European qualification. Well, I mean, look, um, we're playing devil's advocate. Yeah, we, yeah. Want, we wanted this season. Yeah, to yeah. exactly, it. exactly. Yeah, um, but you know, he was a manager whose you know star was in its ascendancy at the time. Mm-hmm. He'd had you know so great time at Southampton. And, you know, we've celebrated his appointments, you know, so everybody was thrilled, you know, so when he was appointed, they cost a lot of money to appoint him as yeah. well. Um, and then, you know, that, so I would call it a decent, you know, a solid first season. He called it, you know, successful. And then it was just like three months that, you know, sort of where things been pear-shaped. But what was wrong clearly was the, the entire structure of the football club at the time that needed addressing. You know, the director of football was at wrong appointments and he clearly wasn't working in tandem with the manager. You know, the whole thing needed addressing. And, you know, the football club is in a much stronger and healthier position as a result of that. Um, but it was, it was a three or four month period that he just basically couldn't recover from. And I think what really upset people is it didn't seem to bother him that much. You know, it yeah. clearly wasn't. Uh, I know it sounds, it's a profession, you know, so, you know, let's not get all sentimental about this, but, you know, managers do care about football clubs and you do become identified to the football club and it can get you through so many crises if you are seen to care and if you are seen to, you know, so have that football club at heart. And clearly Ronald Koeman didn't have Everton Football Club at heart. And that's nothing to do with the colour of his Christmas tree. It's just to do with the way, actually, the way he actually behaved, you know, so in press conferences, the way he spoke. He was always very detached, very calculating. Clearly Barcelona, he adores. That was a football club, you know, so he loves. Um, and, you know, he's a very, very proud Dutchman as well. And Everton was just a flag of convenience for him at the time. It was a much higher profile football club than Southampton. And so it suited him to go there. But clearly there was no great love for that football club. Gav, um play, well, I say fantasy football, but do you think Ronald Koeman may still be manager, would still be manager of Everton Football Club if the director of football at the time was Marcel Brands? Now, obviously the <laughs> asterisk <laughs> yeah. is that, not that is the fact that Brands did actually sack Koeman. Uh, no, I was just about to say um, yeah, yeah. But you, you take my point though. <sighs> I always get the hard questions. <laughs> yes. I think I think that recruitment. I think the whole if if you talk from 2016, yes, because I think the recruitment would have been a lot 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 slicker. Mm. 
on that basis, yes, definitely. In terms of so, some of them things that lads were just talking about there about the you know poor recruitments and all that type of thing, definitely. Whether the two of them could have been compatible enough and both point in the right direction for the greater good of the club is a slightly slightly yes. different thing. Uh, in my experience too, shall we say, you know, strong opinionated Dutchmen are not necessarily the uh, the best combination for working together, um, both on and off the football and pitch. I think it cost them at least one World Cup in the 70s. Um, but I think we would have had a stand, stand a better chance. I, I, I personally think that the second Akuman is all linked with, with Bramley Moore in that predicated, having been a Bramley Moore is predicated on us being a Premier League club and having, an, you know, wanting to invest in Bramley Moore is, is predicated on that. Yeah. And 2017, 2018, if Farhad's walking into it, you know, or whoever his representative's walking into it, somebody wants to invest or looking to invest in Bramley Moore, and he said, well, you do realise, Farhad, you know, that we, you know, this is all based on, You've been in the Premier League, you know, and, and getting all the income, and you're, and you're currently, bottom. yeah, you're currently second bottom. It comes becomes a slightly difficult conversation, doesn't it? And I'm sure for ma- for me that that was the whole whole reason for for getting rid of Cumin and bringing in Allardyce as the one person he knew who could, with the track record, who could take that risk away. Mm. So we could we could say we will be in the Premier League in Bramley Moore and the foreseeable future, and that's that's my. My feeling about it. The problem was going back to Allardyce was was the fact that it wasn't necessarily the the easiest, well, the smoothest recruitment. Was it? We ended up giving eighteen month, was it? Mm. Twenty month contract when the original offer was. If it had been to the end of the season, that would have been it, wouldn't it? You know, mm. we wouldn't have had some of the some of the awkwardness we had at the end of the seventeen eighteen campaign because uh, it was all linked in with silver, obviously. So I, I think Cumin perhaps maybe been given more time, but I just think the Bramley Moore thing in the background was 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 sort of nagging at Farhad in terms of how do we get investors in Bramley Moore if but they haven't bought the Premier League. Gav always just, takes it back to Bramley Moore, doesn't he? Well we're it. talking about capacity. <laughs> no, but it is though, isn't it? We've got we've got to think, you know, if you think about it, the whole thing about Bramley Moore and getting investments before then is us being in the Premier League, isn't it? Yeah. If you if you want investors Coming in and say, well, I'm going to make a fire. I'd see Tiffin Boss in the Premier League here. And, you, and you're going downhill. Mm. And you want us to lend, lend you 350 billion quid for the stadium. Mm. Yeah, it's, it's it, you know, we want stability. And I'm sure that was the back behind the appointment of, uh, of, of Big Sam. But I, th- I think, I, I think there was good reason to sack him in the football in sense as well. Because, I mean, it was a, the Leon game at home in Europe. He didn't, he didn't look. He had the big beard, didn't he? Remember, he, yeah. he didn't look like somebody who, who was. It was there. Yeah, he felt the pressure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was just he didn't look. He didn't mm. look right. Mm. And a bit like Martin as he just looked. Shepherd, you know, he, he looked ghostly. Mm. You know, as if the and Ronald you know, you underestimate sometimes the pressure yeah. of the you know Premier League. You know. Places yeah. upon football managers. I mean, Ronald speaks about this in the interview. Doesn't oh, he? it's yeah. a hugely yeah. stressful environment. And, yeah. you know, it can do, affect we, people. do we think, Prano? I mean, two wins from the first nine league games, obviously, was and obviously a difficult Europa League start, but the league form obviously was a huge concern, would have been the main reason for him being sacked. Do you think there's any reason that he or any belief that if he'd been given the season, he couldn't have taken us to eighth on 49 points? Uh, 
No, I don't see any reason why that couldn't have been the case. Um, you know, it was a really, really poor start to the season. But that's also got to be put into context against, you know, the fixtures that were dealt. I mean, what he was very good at was winning the kind of games that you expect, you know, Everton to win. And what we, there were one or two, you know, exceptions, you know, the home wins against Arsenal and Manchester City, notably. Oh, yeah. Uh, but, you know, so generally, you know, he won the games you expect him to win. And, you know, so didn't win the ones that, you know, that, you know, Far had once said were. What was the phrase he used? Uh, expected losses. Uh, expected losses, yeah. <laughs> like expected uh, goals and all that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, so, yeah. So, so, yeah, there, there was no reason why he, he couldn't have recovered and, you know, sort of settled things down to a degree whereby there was a, a reasonable mid-table, you know, to finish. Because if you look at those fixtures, you know, so after Sam Allardyce arrived, you know, they, they were all games that you would expect, you know, so the Everton to win uh, and they did. Uh, but I suppose what we don't know is what the mood was like, you know, so on the training pitch, you know, so were the players still buying into his, into his policies? I know it's that old phrase, had he lost the dressing room? I don't think he had. But, you know, so were the players as enthusiastic about, you know, so his methods, you know, did it need something completely fresh uh, to come in there? You know, so maybe at the time it did. Uh, but no, I don't see any reason why things couldn't have steadied and, you know, so season had been, you know, so okay. But, and, then, and then taking a decision, or, well, yeah. or or do you think the decision was was taken in October because Farhad believed actually I think I can go and get silver? Oh, totally, yeah. And I think what all, all, all that has to be put against the background of is the club is in a much better position now yes. in terms of structure, in terms of policy, you know, philosophy, mood. Yeah. yeah, everything about the club is better now. So ultimately, you know, the long and windy and tortuous road to get there, you know, was was worthwhile in the end. And, you know, you could argue that they stumbled across it in the end because, you know, you had to wait some time to get Marco Silva. Marcel Brand was obviously, you know, a real key appointment. But, you know, it, it's quite depressing thinking back. It was only a couple of years ago, you know, so that we had, you know, so that power structure in place at the football club and we were watching that quality of football. Did, yeah. Didn't get the opportunity to, to ask Ronald this and, and certainly not being an, an apologist for, for his reign because he was big enough to to stand there and, and, and take the criticism and stuff. But do you think... There was a failure on Steve Walsh's part to have identified and secured a replacement for Lukaku, given the club knew in well in advance that he would be going. Yeah, well, she knew, wasn't it? Like it was mentioned. Just by the way, about to talk about that, Mickey Walsh, who me and yeah. I know, remember playing like yeah, you know, Steve Walsh's in the office, didn't Indeed, yeah, Steve well, Walsh's brother. Yeah, I remember him saying on radio about Steve Walsh and saying, oh, we had his hands tied behind his back and everything. And it's just like tying that in with what Ronald was saying. Like, what's the truth there? You know what I mean? You yeah. Know? Uh, but, yeah, this is... Think, that was a major failure. Yeah, major was, yeah, failure. yeah, yeah. I mean, again, where you've got two separate facets of the football club going in different directions. Wayne Rooney, you got the impression, was a Ronald Koeman signing, you know, so rightly or wrongly. He gave all the arguments as to why he'd signed him, why he could play as a number nine, why he could play as a, a number 10. And, you know, he did his best work in that, you know, returns out as, as a much deeper footballer, almost as a midfielder, to be honest. Um, but that wasn't a replacement for Romelu Lukaku. You know, so Olivier Giroud clearly was the uh, the replacement that was, was failed and there was no backup, you know, so in plan. That was a failure, whether it was Ronald Koeman's failure or Steve Walsh's failure, I don't know, but it's the football club's failure because they had two individuals both making separate decisions, you know, rather than one, you know, philosophy for the good of the football club. Because to be, to be fair, Koeman's first season from the seven is basically built around Lukaku's goals after Christmas, wasn't it? Yes. We, had, we had like a run, didn't we, of about seven 
home wins that were all 3-0, 4-0. I think it was a six there against Bournemouth. Uh, if you have a look, yeah. it was Lukaku scored two, three, whatever, m- m- most games. He scored him, was it, 10 games in a row, 11 yeah, games in a row? Yeah, so... A great player. You know, that, that, that yeah. really annoys me when you hear all this. You know, yeah. he's, he's fat, he's over the, overweight, he's bulked up too much. He's, you know, he's not a good footballer. He's a very, very good footballer. The best striker we've had uh, at Everton probably in the Premier League era. Well, well, oh, easily. Well, well, statistically, he is the best striker in the Premier and, League era, isn't he? He could be. What's he, what is he now, Lukaku? 26, is he? Something like that. He may look back and have a look at that. That was the best season of his career. It may, yeah. may not be beyond the, the realms of possibility the way his career sort of tanked a little bit. They might look back at that period mm. last 18 months at Everton saying, well, that's when I played my best Have football. me back. Have <laughs> me back, yeah, yeah. developed him. If you remember, when he was on yeah. loan at West Brom, he was a bit part player. He was coming on as a sub an awful lot. And Roberto Martinez sold the, the loan period to him. You'll play 90 minutes of football and you will develop as a footballer. That's why you need to come here. And he did. He developed. He became a very, very good footballer. Yeah. And he's never been adequately replaced still. Mm. Interesting. Indeed. Um very quickly, we did promise you a little very brief discussion uh, on pre-season, but there isn't a great deal to go at. Um, <laughs> only, short discussion, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> only the one game so yeah. far as we record this podcast and some some more games may be announced, but if you're listening to this uh, later than on uh, Tuesday evening, but... Um, Adam, concerned that we've we just see one game so far in, in the in the pre-season uh, schedule? It's, I mean, it's hard not to be a little bit concerned. You know, we, we're coming up... Coming up to towards the second week of June now, and uh, you know we've got the first game coming up on the seventh, is it? And that hasn't even got a kick off time <laughs> as it stands. And yeah, you know, you again, you like to think that you know everything's just in place. They're just waiting for final confirmation, but it just seems a bit haphazard, doesn't it? And it's not what you want going into you know what's going to be a massive season for us next season. You know, you'd you'd want things to be really set in stone and in place and you know I think we're one of only three clubs in the Premier League who've announced as little pre-season action as we, as we have it's just yeah we need we need to get this sorted and announced definitely okay we will end it there chaps thank you very much uh, really interesting discussion we covered uh, Jags, Baines, Gomez Cooman pre-season and Lewis Boamorte we think we discussed <laughs> it uh, this time last week so interesting stuff interesting times at Goodison thank you very much for listening remember you can rate, review and subscribe to us on the iTunes app and on Acast so please do you've been listening to the Royal Blue Podcast you've been listening to the Royal Blue Podcast from the Liverpool Echo